Good evening, and welcome to another edition of No Lights Paranormal Podcast, where three nerdy paranormal investigators sit down and discuss the paranormal and spooky stories from the web. My name is Joe. I am the lead investigator. My name is Teresa. I am the researcher. I'm Alex. I'm the equipment setter upper and the Baba Yaga enthusiast. And today we I have a very special I'm guest. I'm fooling myself now. Do it. Go, baby. And I am Rob. Um, I'm not worthy to be here. It's, it's Demarest, not Demaris, Demaris, <laughs> any of that. It's not R.O.B. Y'all have with you tonight. <laughs> get ready. Get set. Because it is the return of the GOAT. Rob Demarest, Ghost Hunters International, Haunting Australia, <laughs> MTV Seekers. You were on. You had a show in India. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only, the talent himself, Rob D. Rob, how you doing tonight? <laughs> that was fabulous. Rob, it makes you feel better. I, I believe the last I checked, we actually have a listener in India. So yeah, actually. yeah, we do actually. I, I, I would. I should have let you guys do it. Just been like. This is Bob Demarest. Bob. Everyone knows him. International hunter ghost or something. This, this dude here with a recorder. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. And seriously, Rob, thank you so very much for coming on the show today. Oh, you. Oh, thank you for having me. I did. I did. On the serious note, if when we get to Rob's story, yes, I have gone third person. When you come to my story, <laughs> late at home this is not like trying to hype up my story it is pretty graphic and it is a little disturbing um not a little it's quite disturbing Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um so this one time and i mean one time i would forgive you for skipping my story if you are faint of heart or after midnight yes (laughs) We have we we do uh, frequently throw out warnings just this like that right. one. Yep. Uh, so yeah, we are listed as a, a mature audience podcast, so everybody knows. Um, yeah. If you can't handle it, don't listen. And this week we are doing uh, the great state of Iowa. Um, today I I don't actually remember if you guys were just sort of next on the alphabetical list or what, but either way, Iowa, you won this week. So, super excited, uh, and all of us have pulled stories together from your great state, including our super special guest, Rob D., who uh, decided to go with our foreman and also talk about a haunting in Iowa. So... Uh, I guess the first thing we will mention is uh, announcements. We'll get to those quick, because we yes. don't really have too many. Yes. Uh, we got Madison coming up next yes. week. Next, next week, week yeah. uh, Friday, January the 19th, is Madison Seminary overnight. Uh, we do have space still for one lucky listener who will get to come with us. You do have to provide your own travel, but other than that, it is free. You do not have to pay for your way into Madison. Uh, right. So we will um, be checking on, on the polls and the votes and whatnot for that. So make sure that you message and let us know that you want to go. Uh, also, the other quick announcement is a mild format edit. I will say edit more than change. Mm. Uh, so we have decided that we are going to continue with the states, but uh, we're going to change up the end of the month podcast where we will just have a kind of round table with some people that you may or may not know. Yeah, we're just going to shoot the shit. 
And fun. we'll talk uh, ghost theories. Hmm. Because everybody loves a good theory. Yeah, uh, right. Exactly. Super. Well, Rob, since you are our guest, do you want to tell your story first, middle, or last? I dig it. So then I guess um, I will go ahead and go first. That way uh, I'm obviously very easy to follow. Rob's definitely got us beat here. And I don't even know what he's talking about, so it's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to be talking about, let's see here, blah, 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 the Matthias Ham House. Um, Super fun name. They call it the Southerner's Open House. It is a, a historical society Victorian mansion that was envisioned by Matthias Ham as his forever home. Uh, the lovely mansion started off as a small two-story, five limestone room built in ni- 1839 by the entrepreneur, I love that word, Matthias Ham. It was an early Victorian-styled stone block home for his family of at that time, him, his wife, and their three children. Uh, after his first wife passed away in 1856, uh, he had a grand addition added to the home that was three more f- three more floors, so it ended up being a four-story home, crazy, crazy, and a magnificent mansion of 23 rooms, beautifully decorated in the antebellum Victorian and Gothic style that got finished right around 1857. So... This house was absolutely amazing. It sat um, on a hill overlooking the Mississippi River um, and had the the reason for this was because his job actually had a whole lot to do with the shipping industry, watching ships come up and down um, the river. Uh, They were bringing uh, mining materials like lead or uh, coal, lumber, agricultural stuff. Uh, just basic shipping stuff. Uh, he was a very, very high-energy man, and he made a crazy, crazy fortune. So he liked to stand out um, on the top of the house, and literally on the top of the house, they had like this turret. It's very cool looking. Okay. And watch uh, the ships go by. One time, um, he noticed a group of pirates harassing one of the ships on the river that was hauling goods. Uh, So he was able to alert the authorities and they were very, very quickly being arrested. Well, obviously, at that time, you know, he's literally pointing his finger at them and they're like, oh, well, now we know who got us arrested. And they vowed revenge. So instead of being hung, which was normal in these days, the pirates only received jail time. So it was really just a matter of time before they got out and took their revenge. And started plundering the village again. Exactly. So uh, in, in his last venture, he made the mistake of putting all of his money into real estate. He really thought that the town that he had built his house in was going to develop and just become this big 
beautiful, amazing thing. Unfortunately, he was wrong. And by the time he passed away, he left his widow and his children um, with the mansion to live in, but otherwise absolutely nothing. There was no money in the bank. There was no stocks. The business was absolutely belly up. Um, so that, that sucked. <coughs> I, I have the cough today, Joe. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Han, however, was uh, very, very resilient. She made uh, lemonade out of lemons, so they say. She pulled through financially by renting out rooms in the spacious mansion and, uh, you know, just had to make the adjustments with having these strangers in her house with her family. In the 1890s, most of, by the 1890s, I should say, most of the family had died off aside from one of his, um, no, I'm sorry, two, two of his daughters. Uh, one of them was Sarah. She lived alone in the mansion. Uh, one evening, while she was reading in her third floor bedroom, she heard a prowler enter downstairs and the sound of his boots walking around. Uh, she didn't know who it was. Obviously, she was very, very upset. She put a lamp in the window to alert her neighbor that something was up so that the neighbor would be, you know, able to come over and help her call the law or whatever. This was just something they did since she lived there alone. So, turns out, it was actually one of these pirate fellows who had broken into the house. Why they waited so long, I have no idea. But they get up to the bedroom and they're attempting to open her bedroom door and they're knocking and pounding and rattling the, the handle and she just pulls out a shotgun and blasts two gigantic holes through the door. Um, her neighbor finally gets over to the house, uh, announces that he's there, she comes out of her room and they follow this really ugly blood trail down to the Mississippi where there is this dead pirate. Um, so, you know, no need to arrest him. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, so, let's see here. says, um, yeah, led them down to the river, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and this guy was actually a pirate captain. I totally forgot about that part. So apparently all of his crew also decided that they were like... Uh, exactly. Like, oh, you just killed our captain. Great. You know, now we're, we're going to get you. Well... They didn't really get an opportunity to get her because she passed away. But anyway, um, lots and lots of years go by and so many different things are going down in this house. Eventually, come August 29th of 1903, um, Sarah was desperately in love with this man named George Potter. Well, George told her that he was going to marry her and then just kind of strung her along and strung her along. And then one day... Uh, in August of 1903, she saw him hanging out with another woman. So she actually took him to court and sued him for breaking his promise to marry her, claiming that he robbed her of her reputation and caused her mental and emotional pain and suffering. Um, so she actually won this lawsuit and was able to take home $150,000 of his money. Um, interestingly enough, back then that was obviously a, a crap ton of money. Uh, he did never pay her, uh, but she still felt satisfactory that the court said that she won. Uh, she had submitted over 3,000 letters uh, from him that were like love letters talking about his undying love to her. Uh, so, you know, 
the courts were like, yeah, clearly you told this chick you were going to marry her and you didn't, so you fucking lose now. Uh, let's see here. After a week and 55 minutes of deliberation, uh, she she won the trial, etc., etc. Like I said, he never, ever paid. Uh, and then he actually ended up completely escaping the court orders and heading out west, uh, hiding his money uh, between his sons, and... We really don't have any idea what happened to him. But after that, Sarah decided that she was going to lease part of the home to the Kegler Cancer Clinic. This was in 1905. Um, so the cancer clinic moved in, and lots, obviously it's a cancer clinic and we're in 1905. Right, right, right. They, pretty much you go there to die. Still in a testing phase, really. Exactly. So, you know, lobotomies cure cancer, right? Come on. Kind of. <laughs> so, she did end up living in the house uh, until she passed away in 1921. Um, the cancer hospital grew, ended up taking over the majority of the home. Uh, and then, in 1961, uh, the park board used the first floor of the mansion for city officers and the rest of the space was living quarters for the park commissioners, uh, like Richard Kramer and his family, who were or big deals in that time in that area. Uh, and then the Historical Society was formed in 1950 with a goal of uh, restoring and saving the historic home. Uh, they did do so, and these days it is fully restored and absolutely beautiful. Um, however, it has left behind a whole lot of hauntings. So, for starters, there is, let's see how, <laughs> Spirit of the Pirate. Uh, many parts of the mansion feel, you just feel ill at ease. On the third floor, you get unexplained icy winds, strange chills, and you are just basically enveloped in what you feel is like, like, just icky stuff all around you and you just don't like it and people don't stay up there it's very very uncomfortable very dark um, at night uh, for many years mysterious lights have been seen moving throughout the mansion's dark hallways and up and down the staircase some speculate that it actually is still the ghost of the pirate roaming around the house trying to find and kill Sarah um, Obviously, he wasn't a very very nice person in real life, and he's definitely not a nice person uh, in death either. Um, there is the spirit of a lifeless body hanging from the tower that you can see on well-moonlit light nights. Um, they This was one of the cancer patients that was in the place who obviously knew he was not going to get any better. So he climbed up to the tower of the house on the fourth floor, uh, strung a rope, and that was the end of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Ham himself, they believe, was in the home. Uh, the curator of the house was unscrewing a light fuse one night in order to turn off the lights in the front room, because obviously old house doesn't just, you know, flick a switch. Um, as she was unscrewing the fuse, she was startled hearing uh, the loud sound of a pump organ. Uh, these are old. Anyway, uh, she quickly screwed the fuse back in. The light obviously came back on, and the noise, like, immediately stopped. Uh, the funky part about it is that that organ has not worked for decades. Yeah. So that should have never happened. Being uh, 
anytime you are in the home, if you are disrespectful to the spirits of the house, um, you actually will hear laughing, like not nice laughing, like maniacal laughing, like somebody's being like, haha, fuck you. And then they frequently will shove or slam doors in your face. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I thought so. Um, the head curator uh, very often gets phone calls saying that lights are left on in some of the older sections of the mansion. Uh, but, you know, gets down there and the, skew the, the fuses are unscrewed and there's absolutely no lights whatsoever. There are several unknown spirits that they assume are there uh, because of the days when it was a cancer treatment hospital. Um, some of them are like cries of pain or footsteps, um, shuffling sounds. They also hear uh, disembodied voices that shout for help or medication or just various kinds of sad and unfortunate things. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought this was a pretty good one. Oh, and they say that no psychic will stay in the house for more than about 20 minutes because it just freaks them the hell out, which I think is awesome. So yeah, my story is not super intriguing this week, but um, still a very interesting old place that, you know, you know I am. I'm all about restoration, preserving old shit. You like history? I never knew that. Oh, really? Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, just real quick, that story hit a little close to home for me. Oh, no. Obviously, well, I'm not from Iowa, but um, Nitchy Ham and Pump Organ were both two of my early OnlyFans names. Oh, my God. So, it was <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. You had me there for like a split second. Like, <laughs> the adventures of Pump Organ? That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> that was some of my best work. That was good. That was really good. Applause. Applause. <laughs> All right. So, Alex, you want me to go or you're up next? If you were done, Lisa, I'm sorry. I am done. Maybe, okay. yeah, you go. All right. Okay. So, I'm doing the story of the Union Township Cemetery. Or it's more specifically the Gypsy Cemetery that is there. Uh, I this one's kind of struck my fancy a little bit because I know a couple of people that are gypsies, mm -hmm. and to say they are of a different ilk is spot on. Wait a second, are you allowed to call them gypsies? Well, I mean, I thought there was like a politically correct term for gypsies. It's uh, gypsies. Is you it just gypsies? Me, I'm not politically correct. No, I'm aware. I'm just saying. I have to curb a lot of what I say on this podcast. I'm just, just saying, <laughs> dude. I believe there's so, two lines of gypsies, but uh, yeah, yeah, they're gypsies. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, to continue on with the story, uh, the Union Township Township Cemetery was started as a private cemetery by Albert Blush Frank, <clears throat> who wished to be buried on his own farm. He died in December 18th, 1891, and was buried according to his wishes in the area designated. His wife was soon, soon informed that this could not be, and so she sold the ground to the Union Township for the cemetery. However, the deed for the family lot was dated September 5th, 1896. The same month, four others were recorded, and one of those was, to be, was found out to be Charles Gutzel. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly because I'm horrible at pronunciation. Mm -hmm. uh, who was one of the members of the nomadic tribe. 
Uh, February 12, 1912, another lot was sold to Charles Gutzel. There is no record of the sale, but the cemetery plot shows a lot purchased by H&E Jeffrey. About this time, all the lots purchased by the Gutzels and the Jeffreys were enclosed in a cement base by a foot or so higher cement railing. There was a small ornate gate as an entrance to into the lots. Uh, this story, which has plagued the interests of Iowans for years, had its beginnings back in 1896 when Alonzo Gutzel, a young man, in a wandering dark-skinned group of travelers, died of tuberculosis in the Union Township. Wow. Uh, yeah, tuberculosis was a thing back then. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Gutzel group generally com- <clears throat> camped about a mile or so uh, south of the Norton Place, near the stream in the woods, the, the Frank Thompson Place. Uh, they probably camped there that night, but when they realized the boy was dying, moved him to a clump of willows east of the Norton Place because of some superstition they may have had about a death occurring at their usual camping ground. Gypsies got a weird... Yeah, they yeah, have a lot there of are a whole lot of weird little life But they believe in them wholeheartedly, so good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the morning, the wagons made ready to move on, uh, leaving the body of Alonzo on a mattress in the road. Uh, Frank, Frank Reibhoff, who lived just south of the Norton Place, <clears throat> stopped and led the wagons and tried to make the drivers understand that Alonzo must be buried. However, the law, law enforcement agencies from... Uh, Alonga, <laughs> the place in Iowa, sure. uh, had to be called out before the people would do with anything. Uh, the old queen, as we always called her, claimed they were Catholic, but the priests refused to allow burial in the cemetery because Alonzo was not given last rites, uh, just the way the chase, <clears throat> just why they chased to purchase a lot in Union Township Cemetery. Uh, it's not entirely clear unless it was that it was a bunch of, it was kind of much cheaper in a remote place, so they kind of get a discount on it, I guess. Uh, so in August of 1896, Alonzo was buried in the Union Township Cemetery. Uh, the Gutzels continued their semi-annual visits to the cemetery on their trips north in the spring and back south in the fall. Uh, in, Ju- in July 1911, Oliver and brother Alonzo was brought back for burial. Let that sink. Yeah, go ahead. Let that sink in. Yeah, my like, what? <laughs> uh, this is when the second lot was purchased in the name of Charles Gessel. The fence added and perhaps another tree or two set out because in the lot itself there's two trees. They've been described as like old and gnarled but really beautiful looking. Interesting. Uh, soon the old queen died herself and with her passing the number who came back each year grew less. On October 1st, 1912, Albert Jeffrey, the 10-year-old son of h and Jeffrey and the grandson of the old queen was buried in the family lot. Uh, the late Reverend A.H. Wood then pastor of Good Hope Church, had charge of the services. Each fall, Mr. Jeffrey would bring a box of containing hair, a hair wreath, that was even weird to read, uh, to be stored at the Frank House during the winter months. Uh, in the spring, he would call for it, and, uh, and again, it would be placed among the stones. Uh, shells, which had some of the playthings of Little Hopper, so they brought like little trinkets and stuff to his grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the fifth grade, which may have been a child killed by a man traveling along the road. It may have run him over. Damn. Uh, well, back in those days, yeah, traveling by wagon, a lot this of that. dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, Sunday, March 11, 1923, a sensational prize winning story written by a girl in an Iowa newspaper, Des Moines Register. Uh, it was well illustrated, and a couple of photo- photographs were also used. Soon the Jeffries returned, very highly incensed, and took 
strong exception to the story, claiming they were not and have never been gypsies. So yeah, uh, as the story goes, they go into a lot of history of it, but it's not kind of pertinent to the information here. Sure. Uh, the person whose article that I'm using for notes and all that uh, went went there themselves and talked to the caretaker there. Uh, the caretaker said that they worked there for over 40 years. Okay. Uh, as they were working in the cemetery and all that, they never said they cleaned it because the old reputation of it is if you go into the gypsy cemetery, the gypsies will curse you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you will die. Not on the spot, but they will make themselves known, curse you, and then you're cursed for the rest of your days. Uh, I saw a documentary called Thinner. Oh! And a really obese guy. I don't know if he went to a cemetery, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's also a weight gainer. So. I saw that same doc. Great. <laughs> um, but again, it, it, it's funny because, Rob, you touched on this earlier about cameras catching things that we as humans may not see. Uh, there was a YouTuber that also did this research on it, and he was kind of like one of those let's test this theory kind of YouTubers. Mm-hmm. And he was standing at the gate talking about it, saying, that, oh, it's cursed, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, let's go beyond the gate just to see what happens. And then he opened up the gate, walked through it, stood there, looked around like he was looking for something. He goes, nobody's showing up. But in the back, you can see this dark figure moving the woods. Whether or not it was meant to be that or he purposely put that in there, nobody knows. It's just kind of funny. All right, I am going to go because I am freaking now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, I mean, if he was only there for five seconds, I wouldn't expect anything. But ten seconds? Of course something's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, yeah. Should only stay for five. You really overreached. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the old history of the place is that it's it's haunted. You see dark figures moving out. The typical things that you have of like hauntings and stuff like that. But this apparently to the gypsies that they were, it's very sacred ground to them. So mm-hmm. the caretaker had actually said they do see some people come back and do all that, but they're quickly gone. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know what the saying goes, uh, fuck around and find out. Yeah, well, I, I, not with gypsies, no. I'm good. Well, you know, people do it with Native Americans and think it's cool. Yeah, I still don't. They must be stupid <laughs> if they do that. So, I mean, go after the gypsies, cool. So, yeah, that's my story for right now. weird, though. Like, I didn't, you know, if, if I hadn't traveled in Europe, like, I would have said, well, yeah, like, uh... There was a gypsy show on my big gypsy wedding or something, but I've never actually run into them. Like, that is not a big thing in America. Yeah. But you go overseas and they're like, oh, you know, keep your keep your wallets about you. There's gypsies around. Yeah, Aww. yeah. And no, it's that's a legit so thing. it's so foreign to us. Yeah, and they said that that tribe kind of went through that area all the time. It was part of their, like, trail that they went through. Yeah, so, remember that one episode we did about the forest down in Southern California that gypsies lived in there, and yeah. they, like, went through the whole damn forest and just wrecked it and killed absolutely everybody. Yeah. That's, that's some fucked up stuff. Wrecked them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. Um, quick question. <laughs> yes. This is just for bonus points for the night. Which gypsy did Rob Demarest appear on television with? Ooh. Uh, hmm. 
That's a if really you were thinking Joe Chin. You probably could be a little more PC. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> He's Chinese. That is important. I was about to say, I love Joe Chin, though. sense to me yeah listen the and first time i saw that guy he screamed bare knuckle boxer to me you know what <laughs> i i gotta yeah, be exactly. I, <laughs> lipstick. Well, I mean i don't know about all that i, I gotta <laughs> be i gotta be real here for just a second i i think i might have the tiniest crush on him I wouldn't, I don't think anyone would blame you. Like, he, yeah. he is really charismatic. He's a yeah. strapping lad. He's right? a strapping lad. <laughs> He's, and, and I'll tell you the truth, I'm, I'm a straight male, but homeboy smells good. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, I love okay. that. I can't be mad. No, you know, that's... Nick Groff's fashion person address him, whoa, watch out. Right, <laughs> right? Dude, that, mm-hmm. You gotta do me a favor. Now you gotta. Now you gotta contact Ian and get him on the show, Rob. Come on. Um, the same thing we talked about. You can reach him the exact same way. Oh, that's good because I already reached out. I'm just waiting for him to respond. Oh, that's a clear cut way of saying I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's on you. <laughs> I, I've never listened to him do a show, and I'd be fascinated to. I yes. It is. It, I've never met anyone that it, it. I don't know whether it's parts of the same person or it's just like one part's re- him on or in character, quote unquote, is so much different than him as a like just the guy you walk down the street with. Yeah, just a dude. I get that. Like he's very like not shy, but he's kind of reserved and and soft spoken. Camera goes on up. Halfway. No shit. Ian Lumen or the Fonz, but... Hey, hey, whatever. A lot of people are like that. As soon as that camera goes off, man, they flip a switch. So so here we go then. Ian, if you are listening, respond to your DMs, baby. He's like, no. I mean, I can get you, like... He's hip. He's way hipper than I am. He's like Instagram... All that stuff, and I know his um, show just got picked up for another season. Yeah, I did hear so, that. Yeah, I mean, he he is one of the. It's funny that him and Joe Chin are two of the funniest people Aww. I've ever worked with on TV. How cool is that? But yeah, no, that would be that would be super seller, super seller. But that's my story. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> so either way. Story. Back to the story so we can hurry up and get through mine and get over to Rob yeah, so that we can his. hear the big one. Yeah. Oh, mine's all hype. You know it's all a setup, so it's like, so I don't know, there was a draft and a door shut or something I'm like that. scared about anyway, you people. Yeah, he's going to talk about Lizzie Borden. I love it. <laughs> Listen, I can't wait personally to hear about Lizzie Borden. So. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Lizzie Borden. Uh, Carry the lead. 
<laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, so mine is in Jones County, Iowa. Mm -hmm. uh, it was originally built to be the county seat for the county mm -hmm. uh, in 1850, uh, but the plans were changed. Uh, the land bought for the future courthouse was given another purpose, uh, and it became a poor farm. Uh, while it was poor farm, uh, it is said that over 150 people died on the poor farm, making it one of the most haunted places in the U.S. Of course. Just like every other place that I read about. It's fine. Literally every place I've ever been? Not saying it's not haunted. Uh, so, yes, I am talking about Edinburgh Manor. So, in 1850, the building was constructed as a comfortable retreat for the lazy, able-bodied, and willing dependent applicants. <laughs> Uh, poor farms were common in those days, uh, and the idea that was that the poorest people would be provided with food and shelter in exchange for labor. Uh, the problem was that not only poor people were taken in, uh, but also disabled and elderly people who had no family, uh, as well as the incurably insane. Incurably insane. Is that what they called them? So this sounds like uh, a recipe for success as far yeah, as farming yeah. goes. Yeah, how's insane? <laughs> I didn't Whatever. You're insane? Plow a field. You'll feel better. Yeah. Uh, some of the inmates, as they referred to, uh, were discharged and left the facility, but most residents died at the poor farm. Oh. Uh, the dead were released back to their families. If a deceased person had no family or wasn't accepted, uh, then he or she was buried in a pauper cemetery on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, the poor farm eventually closed and was demolished in 1910, uh, which didn't, ironically, I think they just demolished the building and just rebuilt the same thing is what happened. That's so, weird, okay. uh, this was the period in which Edinburgh Manor was built and became the manor instead of the poor farm. Uh, construction was completed in 1911 and then opened its doors. Uh, once again, to the insane, disabled, poor, and elderly. Um, so it went from one house to another, I guess. I guess they just realized that the farm part wasn't working out, so they just kind of kicked that out of the scenario. <laughs> <laughs> just killing folks, let's stop that. They had to build an entirely new building just to, just to not farm anymore? Um, I guess. I don't cool. know. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. It's, you can't. It's you really fine. can't. Um, Edinburgh Manor was in operation up until November 2010. Uh, by then, the community care stated that the manor was unsuitable for inhabiting any longer. Hmm. Uh, the patients were transferred to a new hospital and Edinburgh Manor was abandoned. Uh, later, there were plans to turn it into a bread and breakfast, uh, but too much work had to be done to make the property safe again. Go figure. I feel like this is how a lot of uh, paranormal investigation places become paranormal investigation Right. Places. <laughs> uh, so the new owners, Cindy and her husband, wanted to restore the property back to its former glory. Uh, while they were working on it, they experienced strange occurrences, and in 2012, they decided to open the facility for paranormal over to overnight stays and daytime tours. That kind of neat, though. Um... Yes, uh, again, just to throw this out there, this is one of those places that you can go to. Um, <clears throat> so if you are near, I think the actual name of the town or city is Monticello. Uh, 
And that's in, again, Jones County, I believe. Yeah, Jones County. Why, yeah, all y'all get these easy pronounceable shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we had Louisiana last week. None of that was easy to pronounce, right? None of those Cajun <laughs> words are, are easy to pronounce. Um, that said, there are a couple notable ghosts, apparently, from Edinburgh Manor. Um, they don't only walk the corridors at night, but also during the daytime tours. Uh, there have been many recorded EVPs. Um, a couple of ghost hunters, or a couple of ghosts, have been identified. Um, on the first floor, the first floor is haunted by several spirits. One of the spirits is said to be that of a sweet and playful girl. Uh, she's singing and laughing and running down hallways. She plays with toys in room 106. She's been named Susie. Again, I believe she's been named, not identified. Right. Um, and she told some paranormal investigators that she was just dropped off there. Um, That's really sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. On the second floor, the current owner spent the night in room 200. Uh, he felt as if someone squeezed his big toe. That's <laughs> all right. Weird. Uh, okay. Hopefully it was a big toe. Uh, later, when his nephew and friend were investigating the room, they got an interesting EVP that says, I grabbed you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, a woman dressed in white has been seen at the top of the stairwell quite often. She disappears when people see her. Uh, her spirit is generally always seen between noon and 2 p.m. Um, the basement is haunted by supposedly two male ghosts. One of them is a ghost of a tall man wearing a brown cowboy hat and a leather, a long duster. Uh, he also always appears between noon and 2 p.m. Um, the other and the most famous resident ghost resides in the basement. He is nicknamed the Joker. Uh, but is not as innocent as the name sounds, and apparently he is quite malevolent. Well, uh, if you know what the Joker is, like Batman, he's it, not real it, friendly. It seems like the Joker, the Batman-type Joker. Yeah. Uh, so supposedly he touches people, leaves marks on people, and tends to throw dishes to the floor in the basement dining room. Fucking dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, were you read? <laughs> <laughs> Joker break dishes. Well, he didn't. Joker, him in those dishes. Damn. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was I was I was projecting, Rob. <laughs> That's fair enough. Artistic license. <laughs> uh, the Joker has been described as a tall, slender man with a crazy smile on his face. He wanders between various rooms, but is most often seen in what is no longer, but was known as the padded room. Interesting. Um, he is believed to have committed suicide in this room by hanging himself. I don't know how you hang yourself in a padded room. I guess they didn't account for that. <laughs> Oops. Uh, but perhaps that is why people have trouble breathing in the basement and most marks appear on people's necks. That's pretty interesting, actually. Uh, so today you are able to visit the Edinburgh Manor. Um, it is a fairly actually inexpensive place to visit so uh, we are used to going to a lot of these places that are around the five mark the 500 mark mm -hmm. and most of them are like up to 10 people so uh, as of 2024 the fee is a minimum of 275 and that's for anywhere between one and five people yeah. so if you just want to make cool. an evening of it you know you can stop here and uh, they do let people in they let people stay overnight uh, I believe they said 
yes. So please note, Edinburgh Manor is a private property and the reservations are required to visit. Um, the building does not have heat or running water, but does have electricity. When you visit for an overnight, there is a house on site that you will have access to. It has one bathroom and guests may use that to sleep. It's equipped with a fridge, microwave, toaster, coffee pot, stove, etc. Uh, no beds, but it is carpeted, so you can bring air mattresses and sleeping bags. So yeah, it actually seems good. like a decent setup. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, it doesn't seem bad. Um, just one thing to note, if you are in the area of Edinburgh Manor and you do plan on going there, uh, not too far, I've got a little bit of a runner-up. Um, it's probably not a place that you... Uh, it's a museum now, so you can go there to visit, but it's not an overnight haunted thing. Cool. Uh, if you were ever in this part of Iowa, go see Anamosa State Penitentiary. It, you, it's not a, an overnight type thing? You can just, it's a museum? You just go uh, Right now they have a museum in the old cheese factory. Um, and point of reference is that John Wayne Gacy spent time there. Uh, shortly after his release, he moved to Chicago and became the serial killer that we all love and know. Oh, so they have him in custody and then let him go. That's great. Right. <laughs> well, that's what you do. You know, just let the serial killer free. It'll be fine. So, that is Edinburgh Manor, that is its ghost, and that is my story. That's pretty pretty awesome. That's a good story. All right. I mean, I've investigated, I haven't investigated the Edinburgh Manor, but um, Rolling Hills Asylum, uh, I've done about, they, they actually wound up being like kind of a necessity during, during around the Great Depression, mm-hmm. where anyone who was a petty thief um who couldn't function in society was had no money was clinically insane there weren't separate departments that okay this guy goes here this guy goes here so the the general idea was lump them all together um and and if they farm somehow that'll make enough money to sustain them I mean, clearly it was a time that we were grasping at straws. <laughs> I mean, in theory, it would be a good idea if it weren't so diverse, right? <laughs> in theory. If it, if it was just like, if we said, let's start a community and we'll have a garden, that could work. But then you say, well, let's bring in this guy who can't, who gets rocked 24 hours a day. Well, okay, now we're feeding him, but he doesn't contribute. And now we have to bring bring in this transient. He he keeps stealing from us. Like it falls apart pretty quickly. And I, I have never been to one where they're like, now we have the spirit. Actually, I take that back. There was a nice spirit at um, Rolling Hills Asylum who is basically... Um, giant guy uh basically retarded but a nice gentle giant and i think he's still there hodor um which is a wonderful change of pace from tonight's story via rob d Uh, (laughs) real quick rob rolling hills that's the one in pa correct uh, no, that one's east bethany which one am i thinking of in pa you might be thinking, of, oh shit, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
That's for that's for our PA week, and I we'll do. go ahead and let Rob get to his story. With that said, though, I yeah. do actually remember the episode that that yeah. you're talking about with the spirit of the very very tall man. That was a good that was a good a episode. Beautiful segue. I'll just mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, if you remember, Stephen Tango got bum rushed by the bats. I yeah. do, <laughs> and they screamed like small girls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like season one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm friends with the owner. And it's just tough, you know. Anyway, I'm not going to interrupt my story. No, no. About you go. Vacation tourism and how tough that is. <laughs> uh, what I would like to do is I'm going to discuss a location. And I think you're going to find out that, that what transpired there is a lot more frightening than the apparitions or happenings that are there now. So if we are going to go to the Gitche Manito Reserve, um, large sector of land, very beautiful. It was named the Great Spirit uh, because Gitche Manitou is Algonquin for Great Spirit. Mm -hmm. There are reported uh, 17 indigenous burial spots. And that is, but that's okay. Nobody is saying that these spirits are coming up because we wronged the indigenous. No, not an issue. So I want to I want to move forward a little bit in time. I want to take you to the 60s, 70s. Now the story I am about to give to you, I am doing as I recall. And being as old as I am, <laughs> forgive me, listeners, if I I misconstrue some details but the facts are generally consistent and it goes a little something like this say you're 13 years old you're you kind of get bullied you're shy you know you have a couple friends you're really into music but you know your friends aren't really that cool either but you know one Saturday they invite you out and your boyfriend, you're only 13, so having a boyfriend is pretty risque. He was 14. And so you decide to go out, and you're ready to sneak a couple beers, right? We've all been there. We've been like, I got, I got three beers out of my dad's fridge. I do that. So now. five of them wander out to this, this um, old abandoned infrastructure of a building way out in the, in the woods there. And not only do they have a couple brewskis, uh, you can imagine how big this night is, right? Like first night out, having a couple beers, like you find it kind of feeling like you're starting to belong. Somebody even pulls out a joint. Oh, the like, devil's okay, lips. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna look like. Did you, did you take a hit? Maybe, maybe not. Like. It, I didn't inhale. These are, these are the one friends that you do have. And this is all based on a true story, by the way. But now, you hear people walking up on the ridge, just, just behind you. No flashlights, just some, some men talking. And you call out to them, one of the boys, there's four boys. Hey, who's up there? Nothing. But they keep hearing the, the walking through the underbrush and little murmurs. Again, they call out to him, hey, hey, out there. 
shotgun blast. Takes one of the young men, 15-year-old, off his feet. He is no longer, his life's over. The last thing he heard was that sound. Now everyone else says, what the heck is going on? And take off. They don't have flashlights. They just run into the forest in every different direction. First one to get caught is the young lady of our story. At 13 years old, she is caught by these three men. And all the youths, many of whom have been hit by the shotgun blast, are rounded up. They take the 13-year-old girl, they put her in the back of one of the trucks they have, and they say, we're, we're DEA agents. We know you were smoking pot. So this young girl, as naive and maybe even had a little buzz going that night and all the excitement, believes it and says, man, what are my parents going to say? Except that she doesn't hear anything after one of the boys asking them for their ID. She's brought back to the truck, and you can kind of see that this is going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. he, one of the three brothers who had committed this attack comes to the truck and says, Yeah, I know you know what's coming next. And she says, No, I'm 13 years old. And he says, No, no, you're not. She says, Yes, I am. He says to her, Okay, I'll get you home. Now she knows, you know, like the boys are going to be okay. Now we say, oh, this, you know, at least he did that much. Suffice it to say, he did rape her. Mm -hmm. They get home. I believe her name was Sam. To this farmhouse, and and they let her go. She, she saw the boys lined up against the car. She goes to the police station and says, hey, I was attacked last night, and you have my friends. Well, they don't have your friends because they put blasts into each one of her, her friends as they were lined up. Mm. So all four of her friends have now been murdered around this camping spot. You want to see how it goes from worse even worse? How could it possibly get worse? Well, the townspeople, it's a, kind of a small town, start, you know, there's, there's a little local scuttlebutt. How'd she get away from it? They wouldn't have just let her go. Why did only one of the guys attack her? I wonder if she wasn't in on it. So instead of getting what you can only imagine would be years of necessary therapy, she is being mocked and ridiculed by her own town. That's fucked up. Her parents moved away. Um, she had not obviously the most wonderful life after that. Now, you, we, well, we talk, we think about fear of a haunting, but then you think about the fear of those three boys, age 14 to 16, who, without a light, just saw their friend get blasted with a shotgun and take out, take off into the woods. Horror movies use this premise a hundred times since, mm -hmm. except that they really went through it. But we're here to, tonight to talk about group three. A lot of 
people said, yeah, you know that place is haunted, right? And everyone said, yeah, I heard about that. You know that uh, before the, the murder happened, a boy saw a UFO there? <laughs> now this is real. None of this is added or taken away. Before they visited there, a young man came forward and he said that he saw a flying object in that area. So is there a connection? I don't know. But let's let's get right to the end of the story, our, our group of three friends, and see how the haunting affects and transpires them all. They want to go back to that very spot. Um, people have di different interests. Who am I to judge? One of the, there's three boys. One of them, it turns out to actually be indigenous. Um, I don't know if he was Algonquin. And, you know, two other teenage young lads. They go out to the property. Now, the, the person who was writing this said, look, I'd heard all the stories about this dark, ominous present. I knew it was crap. I know ghosts aren't real. Okay, so this is who the, the viewpoint for the rest of the story. They go out to where the murders took place. The young man who happens to be indigenous starts wandering around. He keeps, they keep having to call him back because he keeps wandering off and he's mumbling. No drugs have been taken, no alcohol. He's just very out of sorts. Well, this seems to set off the other young man who is insisting that they are lost. But now we go back to our main character, Sammy Skeptic, who says, all right, all right, I see, I see this setup here, right? Like, they're freaking out. And then he said, what the hell is that? How'd they set that up? As they're standing there, he starts hearing, in the distance, but consistent, a drum beat. He says, I'm done. I don't know what, what you guys are trying to set me up. Gets his two buddies, gets them, you know, heading back towards the car, because there's no way they were lost. They, everyone knows where this structure is. He gets them back to the car. One young man still mumbling, the other one's freaking out. But before they get to the car, he says there was one thing that he'll always take away that he just can't explain. He was on the path on the way back to the car, and he heard footsteps walk up to the path right next to him but there was no one around he, he goes out of his way to say that look I'm an outdoorsy type I love my hunting and I know what animals sound like somebody walked up to the path next to me while I was hearing these drums so Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I thus pronounce for your approval, if I could pronounce anything, <laughs> Kitchy Manitou, the great spirit reserve of Iowa, in which orbs, ominous, serious, dark feelings, multiple people report what sounds like a single person walking right up to you, and we can't forget about the, the drum section that has been reported numerous times. So here's my question for my fellow panelists and our listeners. When you hear, if you happen to go there one night, and you hear the footsteps 
the same way that those five teens heard them decades ago. Who is that spirit? Is there a ghost there? Or are you actually reliving one of those people's final moments? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this has been the one and only Rob D. Thank you. <laughs> That's quite creepy, I have to say. Congrats. Yes, congrats. Yeah. yeah. Rob Wayne's. Jack Robert sucks, hey. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> hey, everyone else tried, damn it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, what would you do? I'd be like, dude, run. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to talk to my camera guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that, that was a good story, actually. Grace, I love the way that you, you told that. I, I went through them. Um, one thing that we, we, we I think, um, you briefly mentioned. Yes, everyone out there, we're not as, well, I am, but the, uh, my co-hosts are not tonight. We're not that daft. We know about the Velisca Axe Murder House. <laughs> and the thing is, you know about the Velisca Axe Murder House. You didn't need to hear us tell you that story one more time. Right? <laughs> exactly. You actually got so Iowa... Be proud of yourself. We, we went out of our way for you. We didn't go for the obvious. Um, <laughs> next week, we're going to be doing North <laughs> Texas, one of the little-known 51st state. <laughs> 51st. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, we can absolutely. I think we should definitely make a poll. Who delivered their story the best? And I'm pretty sure Rob won that one because oh, I like the format. No poll. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> All right, the three, pa- the three panelists have spoken. Rob won. Yeah, I did my solo solo boring thing. Honestly, I, I consider it all jokes aside, it's cheating because tell me to come to join you 10 weeks in a row. And then, you know, like, it's one thing to, to hop in and be like, hey, I'll play your game with you. Oh, we're not, we're not <laughs> it's another thing to do it week. And look, I know you guys were going F South Dakota. We can skip it, right? Like, oh, Hawaii, Texas. Nobody wants to hear about Utah. <laughs> so the, I can't, like, yeah, I mean... Mine was the best by far and away. Um, <laughs> I I could almost feel the embarrassment from all of you. <laughs> Who cares? It's not even a contest. Um, um, so I wanted to say to the listeners before I do go tonight that I have insider information about an upcoming guest to this very show oh. that I know everyone's going to be excited about. I'm not, it is not my place to name who this individual is, but I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic show. As always, I do get my shout out in. Make sure you hop on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and look for the Rain R-E-I-G-N, Circus Podcast. Awesome. I love it. And Rob, thank you again so very much. You're totally welcome. Anytime. And you know, if you want me to harass my friends for you, just shoot me a message and be like, hey, can we get Harnois? Like, <laughs> I, I, can, I guarantee I can get him to agree to be on the show. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he just texted me and said he'll be there tomorrow. I love it. <laughs> Great. 
great time. It was good talking to everyone. Like I have, I have not talked about ghosts since my last podcast. <laughs> well, which is going to be Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh my gosh, and and honest to goodness, I think that. I think we got along pretty damn well this week, so hopefully Absolutely. we can... Absolutely, it was a good show, and most of them... You know, let's, let's because I don't do many podcasts, I'm going to tell the people out there one more thing. Generally, a lot of these podcasts are like fucking pulling teeth. <laughs> if, if How many times do you want to get asked, so what got you started? He goes, you get like, what's the scariest place you've ever been? Like, yeah. you know how many times I've had perfect yo mama jokes and not used them? <laughs> <laughs> Serious place I've ever been? You really want to ask me that? Because you know where it's going now. But yeah, it was a great time. Thank you guys for having oh, me. Oh, Rob, thank you so, yes. so much. We truly appreciate you, and I hope that you'll be You're back again very soon. I am, I am actually off to another podcast. Exactly. No, you <laughs> go, you go. It was a fantastic night. Thank yeah, you, thank you. You're very welcome. Have a good night, Rob. Bye now. Oh, how much fun was that? Yeah, that was, that was entertaining. So I've been talking to Rob pretty much all week. Um, and and he's just honestly he's just a super nice super funny yeah. uh, good guy lots of great stories wealth of knowledge so I and uh, yeah oh my gosh he's been in this business for, for longer than we have which is saying a lot because I mean we've been in it for over 20 years right um, and so yeah he's been everywhere he's met everyone he's done everything he's used every piece of equipment there is to use um, yeah you know, and, and obviously, like he said, I don't want to know what the scariest place is. I don't want to know what his favorite piece of equipment is. I don't care where he was born. I just want to talk about ghosts. And and he definitely delivered, so that was fabulous. And you know what, Iowa, I hope that you really enjoyed that because I pulled out all the stops for you guys. Yeah, no, I, I love the episode. Good job on that. Nope. You had a good time. Good pulling in the guest. Uh, hopefully he can rejoin us here at the end of the month for our first roundtable. That would be yeah. fabulous. And, of course, um, you guys know our socials already. We're on yep. Facebook, No Lights Paranormal, uh, nolightsparanormal.com. I promise I'm going to do something with that website. We are on uh, No Lights Para on X. And then, of course, you can email us at nolightsparanormal at gmail.com. I would love to know if there is a guest that you would like to see uh, or rather hear on the show. I would love to know your thoughts about um, Rob's story um, and every other story. I want to know about your stories. Um, so just come and visit us and, and hang out and have fun. And I'm going to do my best to pull as many people who have great stories as I possibly can because community. This is all right. about the paranormal community. Uh, also, what I would say is a heads up. Um, join our Facebook groups. Uh, sign up for our mm-hmm. Facebook page. Join our paranormal, our No Lights Paranormal Network. Yes. Uh, which is the group itself. Um, the idea with us starting the actual group that's No Lights Paranormal Network is so that you know if if you run a group out in Missouri or South Carolina or uh, it's it's to network. It's yeah. to bring the whole community together as a whole. So you know. There's a lot of times where, you know, as solo investigators or as just fans, like, 
Can you afford to get a Waverly by yourself? No. But if you find 10 people in the area for 100 bucks a person, can you right. afford to go? Right. Yeah. So what we'd, we'd like to do is just open it up to more of a network type thing. So yeah. join, have your friends join. Couple that way we have a big wealth of people that can all help each other. Right. I love it. I love it. And on a completely unrelated topic to absolutely everything we do here on the show, huge congratulations to the Sydney Australia Zoo who had their very first hyena cub born today. Where's your paranormal on that? <laughs> That's going to be an ongoing joke. You know what? Peace out. We love you. Don't <laughs> fuck with the Bobby Yaga. Good night. Yeah.